0: Glad you're here today, a little bit colder than we expected, right? This, by the way, is last Sunday for hot chocolate. We are cutting it off by faith that the Sundays from now on are going to be a little warmer. So that's what's going to happen, just to to let you know about that. A lot of exciting things going on at Grace. I don't think a lot of times we celebrate our wins as much as we should or God's blessings And I just want to share this with you last Sunday here in just our campus, and other campuses had decisions as well, but here at our campus we had 23 people indicate salvation last Sunday morning, and uh, one uh, followed along online and a couple more in the offices uh, at our campus uh, during the week, and then other campuses as well, just neat to see how how God is working, and uh, if you serve and you give, you know, you're, you're part of that. Thank you very much for, for being part of our uh, Grace Church family, and, and God is working, and we're, we're grateful to him for that. We've been in a series called The Road to the Cross, and we started that just last Sunday, and we actually talked about where it's Jesus heading to Jerusalem where he knows he's going to be crucified, and he's going there with his disciples, and there are people along the way that he is interacting with. And then last Sunday, we talked about how Jesus paused and he told a story, a parable, which is a short story uh, that really describes a spiritual truth, teaches a spiritual truth. And he told the story about a Pharisee and a tax collector. And at the end of that story, what happens is the tax collector who had done everything wrong in his life was a a very bad guy, robbed his neighbors, took advantage, sided with the enemy, was a traitor, you know, all this stuff that he went away justified. He uh, left praying at the temple forgiven. And then right after Jesus told that story... Another guy runs up to Jesus as he's walking toward Jerusalem and interrupts him. He kind of barges in. And this guy is a rich young ruler. And he asks Jesus the question, the most important question. He says, hey, Jesus, how do I know that I, what what does it take for me to go to heaven? How can I know that I'll have eternal eternal life? What must I do? to enter the kingdom is what he's asking Jesus and then Jesus surprisingly answered him well keep the commandments and then even more surprisingly the the young ruler says I've done that and then Jesus says something even more interesting after that because then Jesus' response was designed by Jesus to show this young man this young leader that he really wasn't keeping the commandments. He wasn't even keeping the first commandment. Jesus said, well, okay, then sell all your possessions, give the money you get to the poor, and then come and follow me. And when this young leader heard that, he was sad, depressed, and he actually walked away. And as he was walking away, Jesus looked at him... And he said to the disciples that were standing around him, he said, how hard it is for the wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples kind of react to that because like most people in the first century, they saw wealth as a sign of God's favor. This guy's wealthy. And we know this was a moral guy. I mean, he's he's all about keeping the law and, and was thinking that he had kept the law. And so he's coming to Jesus. He walks away and Jesus says, yeah, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom. And then the disciples are like, well, who can be saved in exasperation? Well, who can be saved then? And then Jesus replies, well, what's impossible with people is possible with God. And so... But I want to back up. When Jesus says, Hey, sell all your stuff, give to the poor, and follow me, we call this discipleship. Now, the word discipleship is not in the Bible. The word disciple is, but discipleship's not in the Bible. But really, that's a word that we use to describe our following of Jesus. So that a follower of Jesus. When we place our trust in Christ, salvation's a free gift. Remember the the story of the tax collector? He's a bad guy, but he asks for mercy. He says he's a bad guy. I just need mercy. God gives him mercy. Salvation is a gift. But once we become a believer, once we put our faith in Christ, and we realize who Jesus is, the Son of God, and what he's done for us, he's died for us, then we have a desire to follow him which means we have a desire to be a disciple because disciple only means follower. That's all that is. And so all this is playing out. And as a follower of Jesus, it's a process in our life of putting God first in every area of our life. But the rich young ruler, he rejected that call call to follow, and then he walked away. And then right after this happens... Peter has heard the parable. He stood there while this young ruler came and interacted with Jesus and then left, bummed out. And Peter's thinking about this. And then he asks Jesus a question. He says something. And we're going to pick that up in Luke 18, beginning with verse 28. So Peter just saw all this play out in real time. He starts thinking about himself and the disciples... And then it goes like this. Peter said, behold, we have left our own homes and followed you. And he said to them, this is Jesus talking now, truly I say to you, there's no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times as much at this time and in the age to come, eternal life. So Jesus is saying, hey, cannot outgive God. You know, anybody that's given anything up, you'll be rewarded in this life and the age to come. And so, by the way, when he says, leave your wife, he's not talking about abandonment or divorce. He's saying, well, just like what Peter experienced, Peter was a, one of the 12 disciples, and he followed Jesus, and he had a wife, But he had to be away from her all the time. He left her while he was with Jesus in ministry. You know, scripture's clear that you can have a wife and they should be supported in how we're supposed to treat our wives, which is love themselves sacrificially. All that's happening. So on the road to Jerusalem, on the road to the cross, what did Jesus say exactly about discipleship? Because people call a lot of stuff discipleship, and we're just going to cut right to the chase. What did Jesus teach? about discipleship. Well, number, number one, he said discipleship is rewarding. You know, that's what he's saying. Hey, you follow me, and you, you can't outgive me. You know, I will bless your life. And so Peter points that all out. And he, basically Peter's saying, hey, Jesus, we did what that young ruler refused to do. We did follow you. And Jesus says, yeah, you're right. You did, and you will be blessed for it, And Peter's not bragging when he says that. They actually left their old life behind and were following Jesus. And that's, to me, interesting because a lot of times I think we think that Jesus asks us to do things and those are good ideas, but they're kind of impossible, that we can't really do them. That's not what Jesus is teaching here. Jesus says, follow me. And, of course, none of us do that perfectly, but Jesus says he told the disciples, remember he called them individually, follow me, and they followed him, and now later, three years later, Peter's saying, hey, we left everything and followed you like that rich young ruler didn't, and Jesus says, yes, you did. Good job. You'll be rewarded. You'll be blessed for that. So, discipleship, first of all, is rewarding what Jesus is saying, but also, discipleship is serious and how does jesus say that well right after jesus tells the disciples that hey they will be rewarded for whatever they've given up in this world that they're going to get that back in this life and the life to come then all of a sudden he says this he tells them hey they're heading to jerusalem and he tells them he's done this a couple of times he one more time tells them what's going to happen when he gets to jerusalem here's how that goes In verse 31, then he took the 12 aside and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and all things which are written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. For he will be handed over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and mistreated and spit upon, and after they've scourged him, they'll kill him. And the third day... He'll rise again. So now Jesus teaches about himself a lot of times in the third person, son of man. Son of man is Jesus. And he says, hey, we're going to go to Jerusalem, but being in Jerusalem isn't going to go the way you guys think it's going to go. You guys think that we're going to end up ruling the place and I'll be the king and and you'll be my helpers, but it's not going to go that way when we get to Jerusalem. Jerusalem. I'm going to be mocked, beaten, scourged, killed, but all wise, the third day. And, and they didn't want to hear that. As a matter of fact, it next tells us that they didn't really fully comprehend that. It didn't make sense. It's like Jesus is telling them this, and they're like, well, Jesus, I don't really think that's going to happen. Look at all the crowds. I think everybody's good with you. Remember what, all the promises. That, and so they, they're just not quite with the program. And so Jesus is telling them something that they don't want to hear. And there's a whole bunch of that with Jesus, Jesus teaches things that people don't like. We, in our culture, we hear about the things we like all the time. Jesus loves us. Yeah, we get that. God loves us. All of us. Yeah, we get that. That's good stuff. But there's a whole bunch of other things that Jesus teaches that people don't really care for. And they're not going to like it when we say it either. Because as followers of Jesus, we should be teaching his truth. And when we speak his truth or teach his truth or tell his truth to other people, we should expect that not everybody's going to like it. And that's exactly what plays out in our lives. I mean, think about it. Jesus taught about hell. Hell's not real popular today. I don't know if you've noticed that. Not just the place that's never been popular, but even the idea of hell, not popular, right? Jesus taught about judgment. Hey, people don't like to hear about judgment. I mean, all through the Bible, there are just all these topics, and that's why I always say, hey, the Bible offends every culture. Different things offend different cultures, but the Bible offends every culture, including our culture. I mean, just simple things. Like the Bible teaches about gender. You know, there's male and and female. Today, to just point out that a biological male is a man, by definition, that's considered hateful now. it, it It's just weird how how our society's kind of shifted on that, and, and we love all people. We get that, you know, legally, people can identify however they want. We don't necessarily think that we should all have to pretend to. If you want to pretend that you're something, I mean, that's okay. Just don't make us do it, you know, it's kind of our attitude. But we love people. But in our culture, they force you to pretend to, or they will attack you and cancel you. That's just where we are right now. It's crazy. And, and of course, you know, maybe I shouldn't go down this path, but we have a, a Supreme Court nominee who says she can't define the word woman, can't define what a woman is. Probably just won't define what a woman is, but can't define what a woman is. Wow, Supreme Court justice. I heard that on the news, and then right after that, I heard that Clarence Thomas, who I think is the best Supreme Court justice that we have, I heard that he was in the hospital for a week. I'm going, what's happening? We're going to lose another one, you know? it's it's our culture's going one way but God's word has always stayed another way and and by the way this is why mike mentioned about registering to vote you know we're just like everybody Christians should vote you know and, and hopefully we're voting for candidates that we you know believe want to follow god but you know and and so deadline is a week from tomorrow so you want to get that taken care of so no matter what our culture says at grace, we teach what the Bible says. And so the culture is not always going to like that, or some parts of it. It's kind of like a few months ago, I was telling a story about being at a class at Terrace State and where there were some religious leaders, and I was one of them. And and all these religious, there, you know, there's maybe five of us. And they were all talking about, basically they're all saying, our churches. Are dying you know we have less and less attendance but we are rapidly changing to be more like our culture so that we can get these people back and so now we are rapidly changing everything that was all all the other four were saying that and then it's my turn and I'm saying we are not changing anything we are actually sticking with the Bible, the New Testament that was written 2,000 years ago that we believe is the word of God. Oh, and, and that conflicts with our culture. And by the way, our church is growing. You know, it's, it's just a whole, it's a whole different mindset on how people are thinking. But at Grace, we want to be committed to God's word. We have nothing else to teach. You, you guys are not here to hear Kevin's wisdom. you're going, Kevin's wisdom, whoa. No, it's the word. That we want to hear. So putting Jesus first is what discipleship is. That's rewarding. Discipleship is rewarding. It's also serious in that not everybody's going to like that and you should expect maybe some persecution. And then the third thing that Jesus teaches about discipleship or putting Jesus first is that discipleship is for every believer. And this causes cons- some confusion because of the word disciple. Some people think, well, disciple, we sometimes use that just to refer to 12 guys that were following Jesus, the apostles. But God, disciple just means follower. And so all true believers should want to follow Jesus so all true believers are actually disciples. We just don't use that terminology that much. So remember, Jesus taught through the parable, you know, before the rich young ruler, and, and many, many places, salvation is a total gift. It's total mercy, total grace. Salvation is impossible through human effort. There's no things that we can do that will earn us salvation. But on the flip side of that coin, the other side of the same coin, is that once we've received this gift of salvation that we can only get through faith, through putting our trust in Christ alone, once we have done that, we've gone through a process where we've changed our mind about Jesus. By the way, that's called repentance. And as we change our mind about Jesus, we realize we should be living for him, not us. That's repentance, sort of turning from the way we would tend to live life and sort of trying to follow Jesus in life. That's repentance. That's also discipleship, that we would want to follow him. If you're truly a believer, it comes with a desire or at least an acknowledgement that we should be following Jesus. Why? Because he's the son of God. He died for us. He's the king of the universe. We owe him our allegiance. Every human being does. And so we acknowledge that, and then we, we try to follow him. Now, Earlier, the disciples have heard Jesus talk about discipleship in the broader sense, not just them. And for example, when I say discipleship is for for every real believer, here's where we see that as one of many places. Earlier, on the road to Jerusalem in Luke 14, uh, verse 25, it says, large crowds were going along with him. So here's Jesus And at this point, he's on kind of a roundabout way as he travels toward Jerusalem. He's heading there, but he's kind of taking the long way. And a bunch of people are following him. And then at this one point, there's large crowds around him. And then it continues in verse 25. And he turned and said to them, this is Jesus walking with his disciples and a whole bunch of people are following. And then he turned and he addressed Those people who are following. So, this is the big crowd. He turns and addresses the crowd, and here's what he says verse 26 If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, and wife, and children, and brothers, and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. By the way, this is a crowd thinner. You know, I mean, you could just see people kind of melt. Okay, yeah, all right, I'll just kind of ease out. Maybe nobody will notice. And some say, hate your parents. What? That's crazy. And other people think, hate your parents. Well, I already hate my parents. There's no problem with this at all. You know, I'm in. Good. Hey, Yeah, what's the big deal? Hate your parents. When he's saying this, hate your parents, your wife, your brothers, your sisters, He's using hate in a not a normal way. Remember, Jesus is the guy that said, love your enemies. Honor your parents. Love your wife in a self-sacrificing way. What he's doing is he's using hate, in, in a different way they used it back then, in a comparative sense, not the normal sense. And the comparative sense is like saying, hey, in comparison to our love for God, our love for other people who are dear to us is like hate. That's nothing. Our love for them is nothing compared to our love for God. And the Bible does that in different places. The same thing back in the Old Testament when Jacob, you know, wanted to marry Rachel really, really bad. And he wakes up one morning that first, after his wedding night, and he ends up, he's married to Leah. You know, that didn't go the way he wanted. And all that happened. And then the Bible describes that and says, you know, he loved Rachel but hated Leah. Well, we know that he treated Leah well and all that. He didn't hate her in the sense we think hate her. It's just that probably the way Leah was feeling. Hey, compared to how much he loved Rachel, well, his love for Leah, you know, just wasn't wouldn't, wouldn't getting it. It's like he's hating her. Comparative use, that's what he's talking about. Don't be confused by that. And uh, then he continues in verse 27, and he piles it on a little more. Not only do you have to hate the people closest to you in comparison to loving God, but next, whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. There we have the word disciple. Discipleship's not in the Bible, but disciple. Every true believer is a disciple because every true believer follows Jesus. Salvation is free, again, but once we trust Christ sincerely, then it comes with a desire to love him back. We change our mind about Jesus, which changes the course of our life, and we have a desire to follow Jesus. Nobody does that perfectly. But the process of discipleship is putting Jesus first in more and more areas of our life. We grow closer and closer to him, and we put Jesus first In other areas, and we keep piling up those areas, that is called discipleship. The process of putting him first in every area. And then last, Jesus is saying, hey, putting Jesus first, there's a cost to that. And so fourth thing is discipleship is costly. He continues in Luke 14 in verse 28 when he says this, and he's talking about the cost. For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the costs to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he's laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, this man began to build and wasn't able to finish. So, just like happens today, I don't know if you've been paying attention to the news or what's happening in our area locally, but if you drive to Toledo on twenty. And if you get about where 280 is or Stony Ridge, there is a huge facility. Has anybody seen that thing going up? It's massive. It, it, it looks like our entire property could fit inside the building they're building there. And that was Peloton building a building. You guys, how many have heard this? You know, Peloton decides to build this building because I didn't hear this until recently, so I'm behind. Yeah, Peloton was building this building because they had this massive um you know, demand for their interactive bikes, stationary bikes, exercise equipment, and so they're going to build this thing. It's going to employ 2,000 people, and this huge, huge factory, but then the pandemic ended, and their demand dried up, and they're realizing we can't afford to build this thing, and so now they've got this huge investment. They bought the property. They got some walls up, and they're going, what do we do? So what I've heard is the plan is they're going to try to finish this as cheaply as they can, just a hollow shell, and then try to sell it. You realize this is not a resume builder, right? If you made this decision and now you're doing this and now you're just going to lose maybe $100 million or whatever, this is not what you slap on your resume for your next job. This is what Jesus is talking about. Hey, count the cost. Look forward. Make sure that you can count the cost. And then he tells another story the same that says the same thing. He says, Or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he's strong enough with ten thousand men to encounter the one coming against him with twenty thousand, or else, while the other's still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. Kinda of reminds you of the whole Putin thing, going into your crane. Whoop, this not going as good as I thought it was gonna go, and we could only hope that he would change his mind and want peace. We can pray for that. So Jesus is saying, count the costs. As we become a follower of God, we should just instinctively get that God should be first in our life when we do that because we can't come to God without recognizing who he is and what he's done for us. He's God. He's our creator. We owe him our life. And so we're taught that we need to put Jesus before family. We just kind of covered that. If we don't make Jesus our first priority, then something else will always have a greater pull on us than our relationship with Christ. We have to make him first. And so the question is, are you willing to follow Jesus even if it means alienation from your family? Because that's what Jesus is calling us to. And... This is hard for a lot of people. You know, and the way we, I typically see this play out is somebody that you care about and deeply love and that is close to you and your family, they sort of adopt a, a wrong lifestyle. And then because of that, you change what you believe. But really it should be you should just keep loving them. You should love everybody. But especially them, they're part of your family, but love is saying, I don't think this is best for you, and here's why. Here's why I believe it, because God said, "You know, don't put your family before God. And then the second thing he's saying is, we need to put Jesus before our own lives. We should be willing to give up our lives for him. And, and this is, harder, but, but really it shouldn't be, because if, if you think about it, we're willing to die for our family, right? I mean, and, and we would all say, probably all of us, maybe not, but almost all of us would say, yeah, I, I'm, I would be willing to die for my family. I know I would. And, and then we have this image in our mind, you know, there's an intruder at night, you know, and something happens, somebody's got to die, and, and, and yeah, I would do that. The, the weird thing is, as we say we would do that, I would die for my family, but we won't self-sacrificially live for our family every day. We say that we'll make the greater sacrifice, but in reality, we don't even make the lesser sacrifice. Does that make sense? And that's the same way it happens with God. We we can say and believe, hey, you know, if it came down to it and they put a gun to my head and said, you renounce Christ or I'm pulling the trigger. You know, and a lot of us might say, I am not renouncing Christ, pull the trigger. And we would give our life. And a lot of us can think that way. And that's great. But if we're saying that, we'll we'll make this great, greater or greatest sacrifice, but we're not willing to make the lesser sacrifice of living out our lives for him. I, I, it, it just makes me wonder what we would really do, if, if that's really true in our life. If we say we give our lives, why not do the lesser sacrifice? Jesus said we must carry our own cross. And, and that would sound way different in the first century than now, You know, today the cross is a piece of jewelry or a tattoo, you know, or it's a symbol of Christ's love for us. In the first century, that's not what anybody heard when they heard the word cross. For them, a cross was a couple of poles lining the road to Jerusalem that were soaked in blood of their relatives and countrymen and friends, a cross was just a, a means of execution. And Jesus says, You need to carry your own cross. And that's how they would have seen that. That involve he's saying, following me might involve persecution and death. And and so the question is, are you willing to follow Jesus even if it means losing your life? Really? Are you? And and I know there's Not much danger of that here in our country. But it happens every day in other countries. Countries that are, or even areas of countries like in India that are dominated by Hindus, you know, routinely kill Christians. Muslim countries persecute Christians routinely, normally. They can't even talk about their faith and are often killed. Atheistic countries persecute Christians, China persecutes Christians, tears down churches that have been there for years and years. You know, this is happening. We don't experience it, can you imagine a believer in China would be hearing this a total different way, right? Take up your cross and follow me. And the guy, the believer in China, he has it right. We're the ones that kind of don't understand that as well. And then finally, he says, what's the cost hey, we're taught to put him before our possessions. And he kind of said that with the houses earlier, but here again in 14, he says, he ends that description of the cost of discipleship. He says, so then none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. What he means by that is that we, got, we have to put God first before our stuff is what he's saying. We have to put God first before everything else. And so, How can we get this to sink down to our day, our generation, today? Well, maybe here's a couple of applications for you. If you say that you're a believer, and you're putting Jesus first, and a lot of times you don't have time to go to church, you're probably not. Because God intends that all believers attend a local church. That's God's idea. God invented it. That's what Jesus called us to. Or, if you say that you're a believer and that you want to put Jesus first, which is what all believers should do, that's called discipleship. And you've become a believer, but you've never followed him in believer's baptism. You're not putting Jesus first in that area. Because his intention, God's intention, is that every true follower would follow through with believer's baptism. And the, the reason I'm saying believer's baptism rather than just the word baptism is to say that if you've been baptized as an infant... That's not the baptism the Bible talks about. The, and nowhere in Scripture is a is a infant baptized. So I know a lot of you come from traditions where you're baptized as a baby or one-year-old or whatever, and, and this upsets people when I say this, apparently. But uh, what I'm saying is baptism in the Bible is only for people who have are old enough to understand the good news, the gospel, Jesus, we're sinners, Jesus died for us, we deserve hell, but he paid our price, and so we're putting our trust in Christ and Christ alone to receive this incredible gift. And after we do that, that's something changes in our heart, and baptism is an external symbol to say that we've become a follower of Christ. Actually, it's a symbol to say we've been Buried in his death and raised in his you know, there's a lot to it, but that's what that's what it it means. And so if you're just thinking, no, nah, I don't need to do that, well, don't pretend like you're putting Jesus first in that part of your life because you're not, you know, we're all in different spots. You know, most of us here are believers. And some have been believers for 50 years or, you know, however many years. And some people became believers last week. And so we're all at different places. We get that. But we should all be in this process of wanting to follow Jesus and a process of putting him first in all these areas of our life, every area. And so I know I could say some of these, and you could be looking back at your life, and you could just be disgusted or bummed out or like why, why can't i get this and what i want to tell you is no matter where you're at on this journey as a believer god loves you god knows you god knows where you're at god's pointing the way for you god wants you to follow but as you're trying to do that imperfectly as we all do god still loves you look forward Look to where God wants you to go. Look today, tomorrow. Stop beating yourself up for what you've done. Just confess it, that it was wrong, if it was wrong, and move on. But now focus on today and tomorrow and the next day. And just determine to follow him now. That's what he wants for us. And don't forget, he loves you every day step of the way and you can feel his pleasure when you do what he's calling you to do let's stand together for prayer father god we thank you for loving us and father we need your help we are asking you those of us who are believers here today we are asking you help us follow you Help us put you first in every area of our life. And thanks for loving us every step we take. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.